It has been a, a tough couple of years, but as I look and as I talk with the elders, I believe that we are going in the right direction as a church. And, and we had the question and answer time uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the main, the main question is, this, so really what is the vision of the church? It's an important thing. And we have to continually reiterate what is the vision of the church because you may not realize this, but vision leaks. Uh, we can say what it is, and we say, well, I told you a year ago what it was. It hasn't changed. Well, the thing is, vision leaks. We, we have so many different things that distract us that sometimes we just need to continually saying, this is what we're here for. This is what God is calling us to. And the mission of the church is a little bit different from the vision of the church because every, mission, every church should have the same mission, which is the great commandment. To love Jesus with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great command. That's the greatest, the greatest uh, commandment that Jesus tells us. And the great commission, the last thing Jesus says before he, before he ascends back to heaven. Go make disciples. Uh, make a difference. And that's what we're all called to do. No matter what church you go to, that should be the mission of the church. But a vision somehow changes somehow within the personality and the DNA of a church. And so, so what is Bethel's vision? I try to make it as easy as I possibly can. The vision is to create an environment that convinces the world that we authentically love them so that they will consider Christ as the answer to a world that has no hope. And if you put it in a simple form, it is this. We want to be a church in our community for our community. Now, I know a few years ago, I kind of noticed that the word Bethel has the two words, be the, right? And there's an L there. And so I just said, you know, there's a great way that we can remember this. We want to be the love of Jesus. Uh, we want to be the light. We want to be the life. We want to be the link. And you may think that, well, that's kind of simple. Isn't it a little bit more difficult than that? No, actually, it's not. It's not really that difficult. But we need to purposely engage the community with acts of kindness and loves and service and friendship and practical help to make ourselves part of the lifeblood of Brandon uh, beyond with a, and beyond with a Christ-centered love. And, and to do that, we have to be creative. And to do that, we have to be purposeful. And to do that, we'll have to be patient and resourceful. But to actually genuinely care, to actually be Christians, to be a charitable organization that is actually charitable. Who'd have thought? Almost sounds profound, doesn't it? But it's true. And, and the reason this is so critically and crucially important is because our times have changed. They've changed so drastically, and the thing is, I think, by and large, the church, not just Bethel, but the church in general has not changed with them. Not only have the times changed, but people's attitudes have changed towards Christianity. Forty years ago, 30 years ago, the attitude towards the church and Christians was a lot different than it is now. And people's knowledge about Christianity has changed. I was doing a funeral yesterday, and I was talking to the funeral director, and he said he had a person, a friend, who came to church for the very first time, been in, been in the country his whole life, had never been to a church for a wedding, for a funeral, for anything. This is his first time in church. 
And it was on Easter Sunday. And so he went and said, how do you like it? He says, I never ever realized that that's what Easter was about. I had no idea about this, this Jesus who died on a cross and rose from the dead and coming into my heart. He said, I never knew that. He said, you mean to tell me you took the holiday off every year, never really considering what it was all about? No. That is becoming the norm. That is the world that we live in. People's knowledge have changed about Christianity. And Christians have changed. Evangelism has changed. I know I've said this a number of times, but in the world that we are living in, we are no longer evangelists. We are now missionaries. The way we project and talk about the gospel, the way we talk and care about people has changed. This all became real to me uh, a couple of years ago when someone said, let's do this evangelistic event because this event was so good and so many people were affected by it when we did it in 1990. And I was embarrassed in some respects. I felt uncomfortable by saying, I don't know if that's a good idea. Life like 30 years ago in 1990, a lot has changed. I'll say it could very much be true that more has changed in recorded time. In 30 years, there was no Amazon. There was in recorded time prior to that. Just think about it. There was no Amazon. There was no Instagram. There was no email. There's no eBay. There was no Facebook. There was no MySpace even, for crying out loud. There was no online. There's no social media. There was no Google. There was no cell phone. Or if there was a cell phone, it was about this big. It was, it was crazy. There was no algorithms telling us how much we hated everybody else. But the church still insists on resorting to methods of over 30 years ago. Isn't that true? But I'll, I'll kind of say this. It still is true this. That the way I reach my friends and the most effective way to reach people uh, on a personal basis has never really changed. Like I just moved into a community, but it was in the middle of COVID. And so I really didn't get a chance to meet my neighbors. But once things began to lift, we had a meeting together, and, and, and I began to ask myself, how do I, I'm the pastor, and I'm telling everybody how to be the light and how to be the love, how do I become a light in my neighborhood? How do I express the love of Jesus to my neighbors if they don't know Jesus? Well, I introduce myself. I help wherever I can. I show through acts of kindness that I care about them. I pray that God will somehow open a door. And that when a door opens, I have an opportunity to actually speak truth into that individual's life. I invite them into my house if I have the opportunity. I convince them that I genuinely love them because I actually do because of my faith in Christ. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will draw their heart to Jesus. The way that we do personal evangelism is not much different than how we do evangelism as a church. So what happens as a church? We try to do something that will help if we build a bridge, if we love them genuinely, if we try to do something that will help in their life, if we pray that God will open a door, if we give the message when the door of o is open, and we pray that the Spirit of God draws their heart. And that becomes 
the strategy. It is, it, it used to be on one side that the picture used to be, I remember growing up and in Bible college there was this picture of a, a chasm, a big cliff between, you know, to where there was, there was a big empty chasm and the cross was in that chasm and you had people who knew Jesus on the one side of the, uh, of the, of the mountain and then on the other side of the mountain where they could cross, there were other people who didn't know Jesus and the, the thought was that we kind of, we kind of coaxed them, encouraged them to cross the bridge of Christianity to know Jesus and I had a friend who said, you know, the problem with that picture now is that there are the Christians on the one side, and on the other side, there is no one. They're not even near that cliff. What has to happen is, as a church, we need to begin to cross and to somehow make a difference in their life. Uh, I was at district conference this weekend, and uh, a friend, Louis Hoblock, he spoke at the camp uh, two summers ago, and uh, and Louis was, Louis was talking about his church and how it had advanced. And he had a small church in Saskatchewan. And what they did is they, uh, every professional development day, they, they, they turned their, their sanctuary, their chapel, into uh, a bunch of bouncy castles that they had. And, and what happened was the community rallied around this. And, and, and parents who had nothing to do for their kids, all of a sudden they came in. And he says, he says it took a little while people all of a sudden began to trust us. There was a service that we were giving to our community that actually built love and trust and neighborliness. And, and he said what eventually happened was people got so interested in what we were doing that there were statements that were made. He said the one statement was this. He said, I'm not a churchgoer. I'm not a churchgoer. Have you ever had someone say that to you? In that gruff voice? Ah, churchgoer. I mean, maybe it's just me. But if I was going to go to a church, I'd go to this church. Because it seems like they actually care. And he said it got to the point where the greatest evangelism that was having happening to our church were people who never even went to the church. So when someone had a problem and had a need, someone who had gone to a number of these meetings said, you know what? If you're going through a problem, if you're having issues, you need to go to this church. I don't go to the church, but I know that they care. I know that they exercise genuine love. And so if you're having problems and you need some help spiritually, and so, and so they had people who weren't even going to the church doing the evangelism for him. It's kind of interesting to see how, how that all had taken place. And he says sometimes it just takes time to rebuild, to build the trust so every time we do something as a church, a person who doesn't go to church just says, what's the angle? What are you trying to do? You're, you're trying to trick me into something. And it changes the way you look at things. It changes the way you look at people. It changes the way you look at our building. Our building still becomes uh, a place where we worship Jesus, our sanctuary, where we worship the Lord. But it also becomes a tool on how to reach people. And I know last year I talked about you know, some of the changes that we could make as a congregation to be able to open up to the community. And, you know, with COVID, I'm not too sure exactly uh, where we are in the process. I know that we still have to change our boilers eventually. And if we're going to change our boilers, we need to consider other changes that we can do to actually make a difference in reaching, building bridges to people who don't really know God. I probably told you this story 
Um, when I first moved from, um, from Bethel as an uh, assistant pastor to the community that I was planting, uh, there was a neighbor, a friendly lady, and, uh, and uh, I had met her maybe once or twice. I really didn't get a chance to know her. It was, it was just a little time after this, what had happened. What happened was we found out a couple of weeks later that she had Graves' disease, and it was so severe that she was so depressed that what happened was she got on what, was, what is known as the Queen Elizabeth Highway, great big, huge skyscraper highway, she stopped her car, and she jumped off the bridge, killed herself. And so when they went to do the funeral, they had it at this one particular church. And I asked myself as the pastor, so why did she choose this if she didn't really go to church that often? He said, that church did a community event that opened up uh, an opportunity for people just to get together and sing and just show them that they actually cared. And she said, I consider that my church. Or they said, she considered that her church, even though she never went to it. That stuck with me. We, we, we did the same thing as I was pastoring in, in Sudbury. We kind of did the exact same event. We had a concert. We had peaches and ice cream. We opened it up to the whole community. We had, at first we had very few. Then all of a sudden it mushroomed as people said, hey, there's nothing to this. There's no, there's no gimmick to it. They're just actually showing us that they care. And so I think it was year five or year six, there was a young couple. Both of them were professionals. <laughs> and they just kind of thanked us for, for what we did. And they made a statement to me, which still sticks with me to this day. You see, they say this. They said, I don't go to church. But if people ask me what church I go to, I tell them it's your church that I go to. I said, what, have you ever been before? No, I've never been a day in my life in your church. But when people ask me what church I go to, I tell them that I go to your church. Because I realize that you're actually doing something to let this community know that you love them. And as they went on, I kind of said to myself that that couple is one God moment from faith. Because at the time, they may not be ready to accept Jesus. But there will be something that will happen. There will be a crisis moment where they will be saying, God, what do I do? And we were there at the time. Um, what was assumed 30 years ago by the world is no longer assumed today. About the church anyways. So we seek to reach every generation we become multi-generational. We reach every culture. We become multicultural with every means possible. We become multifaceted because we want to be a church in our community, for our community. And when you hear me say that statement to the point where you say, does this guy don't think that we get it? Well, this is why, because it is so important for us as a church. I was praying this morning, got up. Every annual business meeting, I will not sleep. So if there's wrinkles under my eyes that you haven't seen before, it's usually the annual business meeting hangover, or whatever you want to call it. But as I was praying, God spoke to me. And I just sense God saying this. You become a great church that God desires, that the world is drawn to, when you genuinely love each other. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you genuinely love each other. And if you genuinely love them. Isn't that the truth? That's how we go forward. That's how we make a difference. And we trust that God will move and, and make a difference. And I thought, I wanted to leave with you one of the most powerful passages in scripture, scripture, certainly the most powerful passage in the book of Jeremiah. Many of us know it by heart. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says this. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. These are words many times we just kind of hold on to those. We, we just... We, we just they sometimes are the lifesaver for us as we go through, through difficult times. But as I look at this passage, there's a number of things that you can note. Um, one thing I want you to note is this, is that context is everything. That what was actually happening at this time were the people were in captivity. They're going through perhaps the toughest time in their life. They were disillusioned. They weren't too sure what's going on. In the midst of this, God makes, through Jeremiah, this huge statement. Sometimes we just think that these statements are made when things are going well. Sometimes we think that as we're, as we're going ahead that and momentum is happening, we just kind of add this verse to the fire and it just makes it even better. But this statement was made when there was no momentum. When things were not good. When things were hard to figure out. Kind of like today. And I don't know what your situation is. You may still be struggling from the effects of COVID, not knowing what to do or how to act or, or perhaps some of the, the ramifications that are happening spiritually or emotionally or financially or whatever. I'm not too sure what you're in. Maybe you're just recovering. I found in some respects there's this, this spirit of discontent that happens within a church. Just not content. And it gets to the point where there's nothing that I can do to, to solve the contentment. And the contentment just leads to a spirit of criticism. And, and the last thing I want is for that to overflow through a service. What we want to see is the power of the Holy Spirit moving. And even pastoring. I could just say, well, I'm not too sure. There were just times where I wasn't too sure what to do. It was difficult. But here's the thing that we learn from this passage of Scripture. That the most difficult times are often the times with the greatest opportunity. And I'll just say that, put that out to you, that we are serving God in a time which is difficult, but the difficult times were the times when God has moved the most. The other thing that I noticed about this passage, and perhaps you do as well, that we serve a God who is in control of the future and desires us to look with confidence and excitement with future and hope. That if we know Jesus... We should be looking to the future with optimism. Christians should be the most optimistic person, people in the world when it comes to the, the future. But the past has told me that this is not necessarily true, that the church has often seen the future with a level of gloom. This has often puzzled me because if you love Jesus, the future is good for us. We have read the last page. The future is good for us. Did you know that? No, I just wanted to remind you of that, just in case you, you weren't too sure. But we often get this picture of just holding on until Jesus returns. If I can just hold on for Jesus' return, either that or we just want to preserve the past. We get guilty of preserving it. 
Yet Jesus says, no man can plow a field looking backwards. you got to look ahead. And I know the passage, is, the, the statement is old. When he says, I don't know who holds, what holds the future, but I know who holds the future. You know, and I don't think the process is to look at the glory days of old with fondness, not realizing that we were never meant to survive on yesterday's manna. It's true that God has something fresh, real for us. Again, I was at district office and there was a quote that the speaker had spoken. I'd, I'd heard it before. It was from the book called The Last Arrow by Erwin McManus. And if you have a chance to, to read some of his materials or his, uh, his podcast or his church mosaic, just does some wonderful things. But he said something that I kind of took the whole, I went back to the book and I, I took the quote. If I could just tell it to you. It says this. To fight for the future, we must have hope. We must believe that there is a, a future worth fighting for. We simply can't fight the future. The future is coming, whether we like it or not. In fact, there is nothing we can do to stop it from coming. This doesn't mean that we're powerless when it comes to the future. But it does mean that we have to take a different stance towards engaging it. You can fight the future, but you can't create the future. To fight the future is to ensure that you will be lost and left behind to the past. For some idea... For some, the idea of standing your ground is a desperate resolution to find some way to make sure that the past is the future and the future never happens. Frankly, the apocalyptic tone of the Christian faith has postured the church as an enemy of the future. The faithful hold on to the past and fight the future. If I have had one struggle in my faith journey, it has been that the church seems to march into the future walking backward. For many, the one hope of faith is that one day we will leave this earth and be free from the future that is filled with fear. Often our best hope has been that Jesus would come back soon, yet I am convinced this is exactly the wrong viewpoint for any of us who live by faith. Faith is the fuel for the future. If God is the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow should, should fill us with inexplicable hope, no matter how bleak the present may seem, for those of us who believe the future is always full of Hope. Amen. Amen. And so as a church, we have to ask ourselves, are we fighting the future or are we going to fight for the future? And there's a big difference between one and the other. Wow. Last point is this. You don't understand um, Jeremiah 29 um, um, verse 11, unless you read Jeremiah 29, verses 12, 13, and 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. This passage isn't about this statement about hope and future is about desperately seeking God, praying, calling on him, praying that God will move in our midst because that's how we actually get to know him and see him move. We had an all-night prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago. It was absolutely wonderful, refreshing. We now have a prayer room in one of those nurseries. We're going to be fixing it up. And my hope 
is that we will use it often and that people who are in dire need will use that often. And my hope is that some small groups will be developed and will begin to pray for their, for their children as they grow up and that there'll be small groups that will meet in that prayer room that will pray for their prodigal children and there will be groups that will somehow gather in there and say, God, you need to move in our midst. So you give us a hope and a future, but that hope and the future is precipice upon how we pour out our hearts to you. We have an in-person prayer meeting that meets Wednesday afternoons. We have an online prayer meeting that meets Tuesdays. But I think that God wants to do a whole lot more than that. And God is wanting to do something great. And so here we stand as a congregation looking back to whatever that was. But my prayer somewhere is that we will begin to stand up and say, God, we want to make a difference in our community. We really want to make a difference. So God, I just pray that you will move. I pray, God, as we have a vision to be a church in our community, for our community, that you'll give us creative ideas on how to do that. Lord, I know we tried an ice rink. I know that there, there are other ideas that we're flying in. And Lord, what we want is your ideas, and we want to be able to somehow see the power of God move. Just pray over this congregation. Pray for every person who's a member. I pray for every person who's a family member. I pray for every person who knows Jesus here. I pray for maybe those one or two who are here who maybe don't even know you. And God, you're still speaking to them despite that. Pray, Father, for those people who got healed during the ministry time before everything. I ask God that you will do something real in our hearts, in our lives. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook. Thank you.